Hey everybody, welcome back to a completely new season of the Inverse Podcast, where we look at this ancient text and find out just exactly how revolutionary and deeply challenging it is, and how if we're not careful, it's going to change the fabric of our very lives. Hey, today's guest is our friend Christine Kane, and for those who don't know Christine, she's a preacher, a pastor, an author, and to some people that seems like a full enough plate already. But in 2008, Christine and her husband Nick started the A21 campaign, which is an organization that fights human trafficking and aims to abolish slavery everywhere, forever. As well as this, Christine is the founder of Propel Women, empowering women to lead and influence in every sphere of life. We'll pop those links in the show notes so you can follow Christine and support her and the fantastic work that she and her husband and their wonderful team are doing. Also, for our Patreons, we're going to be running some monthly online hangouts, uh, some question and answer sessions where we get to spend some time kind of hearing from you and talking about how these podcasts are challenging you to live in inverse ways. So if you want to come and be a part of that, jump into our Patreon with the link in the show notes. Also, we wanted to find brand new ways that we could connect with you and you could connect with each other. So we've started a Facebook group. Uh, We'll include the link in the show notes. But if you wanted to search on Facebook for the Inverse Podcast Community, um, you can jump on and uh, it might be a really great place for us to be able to interact. And uh, again, you talk about how this is changing uh, your worlds and challenging your worldviews and ways in which this is surprisingly leading you to live Inverse lives. So jump on that and we will have all of these links in the show notes for you. And we look forward to being able to chat and uh, connect with you guys. So let's jump on into the episode with Jared and Christine Kane. So here we're in John chapter four. Um, I'm reading from the ESV. So the Bible says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and it is now here when, true, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have, no, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone bought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for the harvest. Goes on, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the rower, as the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Mm. Amen. I could run a lap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearing of his word. You should run workshops on how to read scripture, Christine. Like oh. <laughs> that's a, a large passage. And um, uh, w- one of my mentors, Noel Vos, uh, always said, the reading of scripture in church is the most important thing that'll ever happen. I'm not sure if I agree, but I, I love the fact that like he puts so much priority on how passages are actually heard. That was beautiful. Thank you. Before we, <laughs> but before we actually jump into the passage, um, when do you first remember encountering the Bible? Uh, you know, Jared, I have a, a fascinating sort of story with the Bible. I grew up um, Greek Orthodox. So, you know, mm. my parents were, uh, had come over from Alexandria, Egypt to Australia when King Farouk got overthrown. And so they were part of that wave of immigrants that came to Australia, um, you know, the second largest Greek city outside of Athens is Melbourne. Yeah. In, in Melbourne, that's right. Yeah, like yeah. Greeks everywhere. Um, so I, to be Greek is to be orthodoxy. I mean, it's just so t- tied in together. So I can remember b- being in church in you know, a three hour liturgies in ancient Greek that nobody speaks um, since I was born, <laughs> um, right through to my teenage years. And I had never read the Bible because I didn't know that we could. I kissed it every Sunday. Mm. Yeah. Priest ring, but you know, it was never. Uh, we revered it. Um, I had no idea really, really what was in it, but I just knew it was this holy book, and only the priest really had revelation enough to read that book. And um, and so I kissed it. And I remember even when I first 
um, heard, I, I was in scripture, you know, in Australia, we had scripture classes and they, you, you had Catholic or Protestant. And I used to sneak out of the Catholic classes to go to the Protestant classes because I was fascinated. In my primary school, there was an Anglican nun that did the Protestant mm. classes and she wow. would read Bible stories at Linwood Park Public School. And um, I just... I couldn't believe it. Like, I don't think I even understood really anything she was talking about, but I remember just being captivated. Then as I went into high school, I went to Blacktown Girls High, and I remember once John Smith and the God Squad came. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And did a gospel presentation. And Did it, John ride his motorbike in? Yes, he did, into the school hall. <laughs> I mean, I had never, you know, you've got to understand, I'm the Greek kid, Greek Orthodox Church, I mean, here's this motorbike riding, tattooed, bearded, Aussie bloke, uh, yeah. you know, just kind of presenting the gospel. But whatever happened that day, it was the first time that I remember lights going on in the sense of that book he just read from, just in a profound way, I wanted to know more about it. So they asked wow. us to come back at lunchtime if we were interested. And I remember um, going back and he gave me a Bible and I didn't really know what to do with it. I didn't know. So Christine, let me get this straight. Um, John Smith gave you a Bible. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's like, I never knew that connection. That's for international um, listeners. I guess John Smith is kind of like um, our Tony Campolo. Yeah. Um, his advanced Australia where um, his question around um, his focus on uh, those on the margins and using Australian uh, poetry and imagery to articulate our own theology. And, and this is like Elijah um, and Elisha. I didn't even know this connection. This is amazing. Yeah, so that was well. So I took one. And how old are you at I, that time? I'm in my mid-teens at this point because I was about wow. to perform at, at Blacktown High. And yeah. uh, then I um, took it home and my parents were like mortified because here I am this Greek girl and you know like I'm a woman as well so you know what are you doing with the Bible I slept on it for I slept with it under my pillow for a while because I mm. I don't know I thought maybe by osmosis it's going to go to my brain <laughs> I, 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 didn't, no, I didn't feel I mean back then if you you know I didn't feel holy enough to even read it because my whole mm. sort of religious experience was you know the, the Greek Orthodox Church in that mm. sense so um, then I met, uh, there was, thank God for, there was a school teacher, she was our PE teacher, and she was part of the charismatic Catholic renewal. Yeah. So we would meet at lunchtime, and she would start to go through some passages with me. And that's really how I began to, now look, my life was a mess, you know, I, I'm the kid that was left at Crown Street Women's Hospital, unnamed and unwanted when I was born. I had been sexually abused for 12 years, so I was very broken. You've got to understand, this is kind of happening while my life is still a mess, but there were these intersections of light where this lunchtime, this sort of 45 minutes with this my charismatic Catholic PE teacher, mm -hmm. uh, reading to me from the Bible, John Smith gave me, um, wow. how it sort of began to piece together for me, but it really wasn't until I went to Sydney Uni and Jay John, I don't know if you know who he is, um, an evangelist. Sure, from the UK. Yeah, yeah, from the UK. So he came and he did a series of meetings at Sydney Uni. And I 
Um, my life was a mess at the time. Um, I it just, I think the results of the brokenness of, of the abuse and the pain and just mm. being an immigrant mm. kid in Australia back then, um, we were very marginalized being a uh, green mm. country. You know, there was, a, there was it, 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 nowadays, you know, everyone loves feta cheese sandwiches, but they didn't back in, my, in the 1970s. And so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was, I had so much brokenness and didn't really know what to do with it. But, and, and so I was uh, living very far away from God. But a friend of mine who was Greek said to me, there is this Cypriot Greek doing a series of meetings at Sydney University. I didn't even know a Greek could be a, a, like a Christian in the way that I would have understood it. And I went, right. I can't believe it. And so she said, he's going to do some teachings from the Bible. So I went the first time and then I went back and then uh, he would meet with me um, and a few of his team and we'd go out in Redfern and drink coffee and mm. just, he would just talk to me from the Bible. And one day became two days, became three days. And he was here, I think, for a 10-day uh, series of meetings. And basically, that was the period where I really, really um, came, uh, whether it was back to Christ or to Christ and mm. from there began my passion with the word. And um, so it was, it's, it, it's such a intricate kind of journey. The yeah, life totally. after that, after I went to Sydney uni, um, I then a friend invited me to go to what was then Hills Christian life center. Mm. And you stand for um, me coming through the journey. I went through, I had never been into that kind of environment. I went to a Sunday night uh, service and that it, it was the the way that the the scripture was preached um, with such life and people actually really believed it was true that became so I was 22 years old at that time I'm 50 nearly 53 now um, that was where I can say I fell in love and so for the last 30 wow. years it's been where I've been in this book every day memorizing it and it's been my source of life like I say Jesus Christ saved my soul but the word of God saved my mind, it was literally saved, literally mm. rewired my mind from a, a broken, unnamed, unwanted, abused, adopted, messed up immigrant housing commission kid that was really on a path to destruction. This mm. word breathed life into me and literally rewired my entire being. So this kid whose imagination has been formed um, in the mystery and the liturgy of John Chrysostom's like fourth century, um, although it's it's happening in ancient Greek, you don't know what's going on, but there's a, a reverence um, for this book, which animates the icons that you're surrounded by uh, on a Sunday as you stand for three hours. Yes. And, and then encountering um, uh, evangelical um, social activist John Smith who hands a, a Bible and, and, and talks about the realities of, of Australia, uh, then a, a charismatic Catholic who um, actually leads you in Bible studies um, uh, for familiarising yourself, then a Cypriot Greek um, pom who <laughs> come, comes out and uh, starts meeting with you over coffees in, in, in Redfern, opens this up, and then you encounter um, the Australian Pentecostalism known as Hillsong, and you, you fall in love with the Jesus that you've been reading about and uh, know something of the, of the power of that. And uh, these texts are given back to you in ways that it 
literally becomes your redemption. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's, it's, I, I see all of it and I see the miracle of God. And I, that's why I love the breadth of God's church. And I, I love, mm. um, and I've never sort of fit in any one box. Yeah. Um, I think the way I even came to the planet, God made sure that was never going to happen. You know, <laughs> to yeah, this, wow. I don't even know who my biological parents are. I, I you know, I think yeah. that the Lord sort of kept me to himself in many ways and um, brought me to his word through, I mean, from, you know, uh, social justice, evangelical, charismatic Catholic, Greek Orthodox. And, and now the work that I do um, with A21 and Propel yeah. Women, you know, A21's in 15 countries, Propel Women's in 80 countries. So I have to work. Uh, our headquarters is in the epicenter of orthodoxy in Thessaloniki, Greece. And so yeah. I work with the, the, the church. And I think the fact that I still have my baptism um, from right. that's really helped me in Greece and um, here I am you know doing a master's a Wheaton College now and um, I'm still on the teaching team at Hillsong and I mean it just uh, it's all sort of wild (laughs) yeah yeah and uh, a conversation for another time but um uh I I quite seriously nearly converted to Eastern Orthodoxy and I run shops for the Romanian Orthodox Church in Romania with their priests um, and my love for the patristics and I mean, is it, next time we hang out, we, we can discuss all, all of that. I'm hearing for you though, this very much, um, uh, the, the scriptures are something that turned your world upside down. Oh yes. And continue to, <laughs> without yeah. but, um, you know, because of the scripture, well, for me, there was the personal healing that I found through and I'm continuing to find um, through God's word, yeah. uh, the passion for co-laboring with Christ in his kingdom. Um, there would be no A21. I mean, you know, what, what mm-hmm. I'm doing, my work with A21, the work that we do with Propel to help um, women internalise a, a leadership identity and to activate their potential, all of that comes from my reading of scripture. Yeah, and I think um, so many people are very familiar with A21 and the work that it does in terms of um, seeing people liberated from situations of human trafficking. Um, But talk to us a little bit about Propel and the the heartbeat and vision behind that. Yeah, I I was sort of, um, you know, I've been living in America for for the last 10 years. And so Mm. um, it was very eye-opening when I moved there uh, because in some ways, particularly in the women's space, it was like a different planet because um, here you know, I led youth alive. I've been very, very empowered to um, use all of my gifts uh, in the church and to um, get out there and have a go, really. You know, I just, it, yeah. it was really great. And then I went over there and I felt like I was in a parallel universe because I just uh, met all these amazingly gifted, uh, talented, capable, called women. And they might have been really cutting it out in the marketplace, doing some really fantastic work and then stepping into the church world and we're just being minimized. And uh, I just found it really odd. I thought, how on earth uh, could someone like you that is just so full of life and zest and obviously God has called to do amazing things um, Mm. shrink rather than be flourishing when it comes uh, to, you know, service in the kingdom and service in the church. So what I saw was um, 
this was the deal. I thought, I started it five years ago, that at the time I was 48. And, um, you know, God has me in a very unique place at this season of my life where um, the young people are still listening to me. And I think part of that is because, you know, I'm out on the front lines with A21. And, yeah, yeah. and there's credibility, 30 years of doing this thing, and I'm still here. And I think... Um, so the young uh, young people are just yes let's go charge hell with a water pistol let's go do this you know really excited and then um the older people that thought i was just a zealous um I, i'm going to grow out of my enthusiasm and i'm going to grow out of my passion and i'm going to grow out of my commitment to kingdom work eventually you know one they thought it would happen when i got married then maybe when i had a child and you know they're still waiting for that to happen but so a lot of those older people are finally starting to listen because now I'm in my fifties and, um, you know, by God's grace, uh, our life is flourishing and moving forward. And I think they're going, well, maybe there is something to this, to, to kingdom. Yeah. Um, and so I thought I could either wait till I'm in my sixties, seventies, God willing, if I, you know, if I'm still around, um, to then, begin to create pathways and pipelines for young women to come through or while i'm do while i'm sort of still kind of running with i've got by god's grace i've got health and strength and my faculties and i've got a, a, a degree of influence i could probably right in the midst of this moment instead of i can build one of two ways i can either keep building me or I could build the kingdom and create pipelines and pathways for mm -hmm. a whole lot of people to come through. And out of that came Propel. It was like, you know, it's one thing to say to young women, you can do anything, but then if there's a system in place that's, that's right. doing anything, I mean, I'm causing more frustration than anything else. Yeah. And, um, and maybe uh, just, I think, disappointment, disillusionment, anger and bitterness, all those things that come out of, you know, you told me I could and I can't. So I thought I probably am in a place where I could have some of the fights for them and I can arrest some of the things. Um, I'm too old to care in some things. And, and, um, and I, I think that I understand some of the nuances and I, I don't have an ax to grind and I don't have an agenda. Yeah. So, and I, I get the breadth of the church. I get that the you know, women in, in Greece are facing a different thing to the women in America are facing. A, sure. a, we have a hundred chapters in Pakistan, the things that are there for those yeah, wow. very different to, uh, you know, the women that I have anyway, all around the world. So I, I thought because, um, I've spent 30 years doing laps of the globe, literally, um, you know, we are on the road 300 days a year on every continent. Wow. Um, I've had the privilege of I certainly don't just serve women. I've been in the church world and the leadership space, yeah. the pastor space for, I've had a very unique place um, mm. that, uh, you know, I've been across the breadth of it. And we even do training with Greek Orthodox priests in Greece. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, I've done lots of stuff in Italy with both the Catholic church and with um, the Protestant church. And in America, you know, I've just released a Bible study with Lifeway and I speak with Joyce Meyer. So go figure, you know, like it's just, it's just the kind of breadth of all of that. I thought I, I, I understand the nuances through a lot of those different streams. Different spaces, yeah. And I can help to uh, people to understand, look, we're all just flowing into one big ocean, really. That's the deal. And um, if I could create for one of a better phrase, the way I see it is, is bridges and on ramps and off ramps, yeah. So those people that want to jump on, jump off, get a bridge over, 
at least that's been established. I'm not trying to change anybody's theology necessarily. Like if, you know, you're hyper-reformed and you sort of believe women can do A, okay, well, maybe if we move to B, that's great. And if you're hyper-egalitarian <laughs> and you believe women can do Y, let's go to Z. You know, like that's, they're like, that's, um, and if there's bridges and ramps, then everyone can work it out in their own space. Um, but I think if I can help elevate, here's the deal. When I started it, I said, it's for Propel for Women Who Lead. You will never believe, Jared, the kickback I got. Um, really? Oh, yeah, to put woman leader in the same sentence. But, uh, you know, it's, it's changing. It's fantastic. Oh, I know you, you just I couldn't believe it either so but this is what I said and which I still stand by because of course everything that drives me is mission uh, and that, you know that's everything in my life so when um, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt my heart to start this it came out of um, Matthew where Jesus said you know which is why I read here about the um, harvest where um, Jesus says, you know, the fields are white for the harvest. Um, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth. That word send forth in Greek is ekvalo, to mm. propel laborers into the harvest. Yeah. So I said, well, you know, as followers of Jesus, um, we're all leaders, whether you're a stay-at-home mother right. homeschooling 20 kids or whether you are a corporate <laughs> CEO, our primary goal as Jesus followers is to lead other people to Jesus. Therefore as Jesus followers, we're leaders, period. However else you want to, whatever other parameters you want to put around that, knock yourself out. I'm not, that's not the debate I'm wanting to have. I want everyone to see that as Jesus followers, we are leaders, period. And if I can help um, Ekvalor propel you into the harvest, because I had a whole lot of women in the marketplace feeling like they were invalid, feeling like you know, one day maybe God will use their gift, but there's no way for God to use their gift. And I'm wanting them to say, no, 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 you are salt and light in your world. How can I create resources um, to help you activate your passion, your purpose, your potential, where you are as salt and light and to advance the kingdom where you are. And, yeah. uh, you know, I felt the Lord say to me, uh, Chris, it's kind of like, um, in a sense, I've got women out there in the harvest field and no one's equipping them. And a lot of them are feeling guilty. You know, they've, they've, there's so much legalism and guilt in women. Um, and you've already got, if you're married with children, you're already carrying a whole lot of mother guilt. You know, women can put guilt trips on each other, stay at home mums, you know, think you shouldn't be working, working mums should wish we're wishing they were at home. And I thought, man, we've got to lift this guilt. We've got to lift this shame. We've got to champion one another. And I want to create purpose-driven tools that take this book so all the stuff that we've got and it's worked because the curriculum is in 80 countries of the world including pakistan in villages yeah. in pakistan where we've purpose-built curriculum um which can help someone that maybe is even illiterate and brings uh the, the scripture alive in everyday scenarios so it makes this word it's not like we're just, just going to go deep into the Greek, Hebrew or Aramaic, but I'm going to take this and you can then apply it in your world. And so on any Propel platform, I mean, you will see incredible diversity in every way, but, mm -hmm. but also um, diversity of vocation always. And there'll always be a single mum, an unmarried woman, um, and there will be perhaps a ministry woman, uh, a corporate executive, an entrepreneur, um, you know, uh, of course, uh, women of all race, ethnicity, uh, the diversity is just stunning just by, yeah. and it's not even necessarily as intentional as an outflow of my life. I have 
A21 in 15 countries around the world. I've got this in that. So I just think that way, you know, and my friends yeah, yeah. are that way. And so for me, everything in my life is uh, more or less an outflow of what's on the inside. It's, um, yeah. I, th I think that's why it keeps growing and the Holy Spirit is on it because I'm not trying to force something to happen. That's right. It's I'm just the yeah. yeah. And I mean, even in terms of the passage that you've chosen, um, John, for that uh, this is the, the largest. Uh, a passage where Jesus in conversation with a woman and her voice is, is being heard. Um, before, and I'll, I'm, you know, looking forward to you opening th this passage up. Christine, why do you think it is that so many people who know that the scriptures can turn their personal world upside down don't have the same expectations around the scriptures turning our world in general upside down. Um, how, how do you slice together that dichotomy that so many people live with that it's transformed my heart, but in terms of God's heart for the world, that that's too big. And um, do you have a, a way to not? It, it's so, you know, Jared, I, um, I mean, I have to think about that really hard because it, I couldn't apply this in any other way, but it was for me in every sense, uh, there's a, so that there I, I'm saying yeah, yeah. so that to it and I'm healed so that I can help others lead people to Jesus so they can be healed. I am made, you know, Jesus set me free so that I can open the prison doors for those yeah. that are free. There's just a, a, a natural correlation. I think, I don't know what happened, I don't know, I said to you, I got saved. I just really got saved. And so yeah. it, like something <laughs> happened. That, um, and, and it was instant. Uh, for me, there has never been a disparity. Uh, I understand that I'm blessed to be a blessing. I understand that I am healed so that others can be healed, that, you know, that I am set free so that others can be set free. The so that of the gospel, I couldn't imagine why else we're on the earth. Uh, mm. but, pursuit of personal piety would be a boring thing to just be on earth. <laughs> just like, I'm just like, are you kidding me? If that's it, like, you know, someone shoot me as soon as I get saved. I'm just like, no, there's got to be more to this thing. And the yeah. thought that God, the creator of the universe would invite me to be a co-laborer in his harvest world. I just, I still, 30 years later, I still wake up every day, pretty much, you know, I have a bad day every now and again, but pretty much going, I, can't, I almost feel like those day laborers, I'm just waiting on the side of the street going, I'm going to jump on the truck. Let's go. Where are we going today? What are we going to do today? And we get this adventure today. I think, you know, if, if more of us were willing to be co-laborers and didn't want to be co-stars, we'd get up, we'd find a whole lot of satisfaction. Um, yeah. Father's business. And that's what Jesus said, in, even in this text, you know, because man, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's the thing yeah. that rules me. Uh, not, not even building big organizations or sort of a an overflow but i'm i'm no more passionate about this than i was when i was going around to wagga wagga and there was 10 kids in our school yeah, um, yeah. i was if you talk to me back then th this is me i was as passionate then as you know this global thing um that i'm running because my i, I don't think i've ever moved beyond that i, I w before i even understood kingdom language um, and so much of the beautiful revela revelation that seems to be flowing through the church now and people are awakening to King Jesus and our kingdom agenda here on earth. Um, I think in my own little 
Christine, back when I was Chris Cariopolis, way that got saved. I just thought I'm here, I'm saved and I'm called. And I didn't need a big prophetic word from the book of Esther. How do you know? (laughs) How I know that this is my time such as this is that I'm alive. You know, like this is it. I'm on the planet. This is not a dress rehearsal. The fact that Jesus saved me and then left me here to do a job and just didn't take me immediately to heaven. Um, I didn't even need 20,000 prophetic words. It just, Mm. you know, I'm charismatic, so I believe that stuff. But Mm. I just, it was just not rocket science. It was just logical. Therefore, my job here on earth is the more healed I become, the more effective I can be to be a co-laborer. And for me, a lot of that has got to do with fruitfulness because it is to our Father's great glory that we bear much fruit. So I'm unapologetic about fruitful living and faithful living. Um, I think, you know, I'm part of the tradition of the church that maybe has mixed some of that up um, and didn't quite know what to do with faith and blessing and prosperity and abundance and perhaps turned it inward, mixed some of it with materialism and greed and lust and the way of the world rather than understanding what it was for. While you remember what it's for, you don't have to apologize for it. You just have to remain a conduit of it so that you share it. Yeah. (laughs) And so the the more God gives me, the more I can give, the more I have, the more I can help. So I'm unapologetic about that. Um, because I, I want to bear much fruit. Um, I want people to see our good works, that they would glorify our Father in heaven. I want yeah. that to happen. So, you know, but you've got to be in really good accountability to yeah. make sure uh, that that doesn't get in your heart and corrupt you and take you off track. And yeah. that's uh, 30 years on in the journey, um, by God's grace, uh, you know, um, we've stayed on track. A lot of that, you know, you can't legislate that, but I think if you choose to submit yourself um, and to have really good accountability around you and have people that can truly call you out and keep you on mission, help you stay on mission, um, you can have a very fruitful life through to the end. Yeah, totally. And it's that whole thing that living water flows. Yeah. I mean, stagnant water, um, what is a gift that would give life? If it sits still, it becomes something that's sick. And um, there's so much, uh, if you're just having water tanks that sit still and you see that as blessing, it actually becomes a curse quite quickly. Oh, very much. And when you see Jesus says, you know, it's better to give than to receive. I always want, I go, God, I want to get to a place where, like, I really believe that, where where you've so changed me on the inside, um, where I can just wake up every morning. And I think here's the biggest freedom, Jared. I think after, especially with the brokenness that I came from, the, yeah, sure. and the pain, the abandonment, the rejection, one of the greatest freedoms is to be free from having yourself on your mind all the time. Like, yeah. so brokenness keeps you on your mind all the time because you're just yeah. like, you know, it's my pain, my suffering, the injustice done against me, 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 me. To yeah. be free of me means I can wake up every day and go, okay, who do I get to be good to today? Who do I get to, yeah. Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good. I mean, this stuff's yeah, not complicated. Yeah. It's just like you wake up every morning going, if it's more blessed to give than to receive, how can I best give and most effectively give? And it makes your life on this planet with all the heartache and the trials and the suffering and the injustice and the evil, because I see that every day in the reports mm-hmm. that I read from just mm-hmm. the gross atrocities that happen with trafficking. Um, the thing that keeps me on fire, though, is this stuff, this, this, this stuff of just like, okay, let's keep it simple. Who can we help? How can we go about doing good? How can we just uh, not get caught up in the stuff that clutters your heart and stops the 
flow of the life of God from flowing yeah, through. Yeah. So why this text, as we turn to this yeah. passage, um, uh, why in particular, and, and help us read it in such ways that turns our life and our world upside down? It is. Well, Jared, I think almost if there was only one part of the Bible, if there was 42 verses I could take with me to sit on a, a deserted island and they said, this is what you can have, this is probably what yeah, I would have. Um, there is so much here, and um, it's good that I'm a Greek woman, so I, I just talk three ways, hard, fast, and continuously. So the, <laughs> <laughs> the podcast listeners will be okay. Like, you know, it'll be like, we'll get lunch, it's fine. But uh, I mean, it's just everything in me, the evangelist in me comes alive with this, the woman in me comes alive in this, uh. broken, marginalized person in me comes alive in this, the revivalist in me comes alive. Uh. In so I think it's just got all of that, but just even um, the beginning of the text where it says that, that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, it, it just makes me laugh because he didn't actually have to geographically. I mean, he did not. That's right. Have yeah, to. Yeah. Um, but there was obviously some compulsion in him that, that thought, I, I have to go here. And of course, you know, a, a lot of us are familiar that most Jewish people would never have gone. I mean, you, you would go around, you would go the long way around. Yeah, exactly. Um, because of, for all the reasons that we know, you know, these people were so marginalized and despised and considered half breeds and just not even worthy of, of being called fully human. And um, the fact that Jesus had to go there. Uh, and for me, you know, we have churches, my husband and I in Thessaloniki, Greece, uh, mm. Sofia, Bulgaria, and Warsaw, Poland. And, um, and we, I love going to those places where nobody else will go. You go like, I, I yeah. have to go, I have to go. Because if you're willing to go where no one else will go, you're going to find people no one else is going to find. And mm -hmm. I love the fact that Jesus was willing to go where no one else went. And he found a woman that nobody else would have found. Um, mm -hmm. And ended up having the conversation that nobody else would have had. And he ended up seeing the revival that nobody else would have seen. And so that's kind of like how I love my faith works. It's like, you know, yeah. if, you, if you go there and it says, I love the humanity of Jesus, particularly in this text. Um, that's mm. what I, I love all those parts that he was weary and he was thirsty. Mm. Um, that for me, uh, and I'm sure for, for every human with need, um, his humanity just, it just resonates so, so deeply in this text. Um, and that he started where they both were, that they were thirsty and they both understood water. So in terms of uh, evangelism and connecting with a lost world, um, looking for entry points of common need and common humanity, I, th I think this is like, um, I know we often use Acts 17 as a great text with Paul, but I think Jesus preceded that even here with the woman. Um, totally. yeah. of, like, you know, let, let's start with what we both know. Both know. Um, we both want water and we both get water. And so, um, and I love the way that he started the conversation um, and it would be great, I think, for all of us in the church if we were willing to go first and we were willing to start the conversation. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, in the, these days, a Jewish man, I mean, he would have gotten up and left in all likelihood if a woman on her own was coming to the well or at, 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 at I mean, probably at best, um, he, he would have turned his back or just totally ignored her. Uh, yeah would be no way that a Jewish man would speak and initiate a dialogue uh, with a woman at the well. And so um, I and it's fascinating, Christine, like sometimes we can uh, judge too easily uh, that for um, Jews at the time, Samaritans were those who sold out to the Assyrian right. Empire, um, that this isn't merely 
um, uh, tensions. Uh, this has got to do with socioeconomic realities. This has got to do with um, whose hand you're fed by. This is uh, those who uh, have managed to um, find a way to fit in with empire. And there's those on the underside of that um, who have, have tried to, you know, um, keep the faith in the midst of all that. And they're some of the strange tensions that are happening and yet those who are faithful like even in passage just before i love the fact that here we have midday right um where nothing can be hidden and um you know just before it, you've got um jesus and nicodemus and um he's an insider who comes in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anything to be seen totally i like i just love the way that john plays with um, what's hidden and and what's plain and the the vulnerability of jesus in both situations um and how he plays with those who um, have social power and uh, those that aren't um uh, there's a playfulness here for me as well oh without doubt and i love even the contrast with nicodemus and her because they both kind of have a theological conversation with him and um sometimes people go you know she's a woman she didn't really understand what he's talking about I'm, nicodemus had no clue what he was talking about when he said you must be born again i mean i'm just like <laughs> it's like i love yeah. me like neither of the, it was just um I, I just love that juxtaposition too i'm thinking they both had this theological discourse and neither of them had any clue um it was it was beautiful but even as he goes through she pushed back so she I, I liked her yeah totally and he doesn't um he's not thrown by that you know I, I think sometimes some of the discourse we have and a lot of the very uh just angry anger and vitriol particularly on social media some of that discourse. Yeah. yet jesus he is not uh thrown by her pushback you know she sort of comes at him you know what do you got to you got nothing to draw with what what, what are you doing here what mm. what talking to someone like me um but he, he continues to stay in that dialogue like i really actually loved the way uh that this happened and he, he enters in with the whole thing about um thirst and water and she I, I love all this that here they are at the well he is the living water and they're having a conversation about water i'm just like that picture that imagery right there you've got all yeah. all of that all that dynamic which just that the nerd in me really loved all of that <laughs> Um, but he was using this temporal thing to, to start unpacking an eternal truth, which um, I think a lot of us, it's a good lesson for all of us to begin with what everyone can see, taste, touch, smell, feel here, and that can lead us to, to deeper eternal truths. And then he goes to the truth. And what I love about this, and you know, I don't know whether this is just the way that I would read it, but um, I did a lot of research when I was looking at this passage, because, you know, we've all heard the sermons for years that this was a, a wayward woman and she was an immoral woman. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, sermons that better serve patriarchy than oh, they do the scriptures. I'm like, seriously, there is no, you know, and may, she may have been, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that, but um, I, I, had written down there were there were three other possibilities like she could have been widowed you know more than one time mm. she could have been widowed like five times for all we know and so for um a first century woman they were almost all married so you would have had no choice you would have went from th that could have happened she could have um been barren and her husband divorced her you know like i mean if you didn't bear a child and a male heir you would have been cast aside. I mean, there's nothing to say that you were necessarily, she could have been a concubine. I mean, I, I don't know. In the Greco-Roman world, there was that mm. as well. But our... And, and there's also the, um, the the depth of just like Nicodemus actually represents a whole system. 
um, uh, uh, those who have religious power. Uh, this woman actually represents a whole people group. And uh, maybe it's because you're Greek Orthodox uh, uh, background, there, there's a, a depth and a poetry to your preaching um, that isn't merely about um, words on a page, but the, the images that run through our heart as we open up these kind of stories. I, I remember um, being in, in Yesh in Romania and doing this training for um, Orthodox priests. And um, I threw out, which for those of us who have um, been in charismatic or evangelical or Pentecostal circles, you know, John 3.16 and um, uh, somebody give it to me. And I had blank faces like from like Orthodox and um, uh, they're like, uh, no, no, we're not. And um, someone said, oh, you're talking about Jesus coming to Nicodemus at night and um, the, the back and forward. And I paused for a moment and was like, am I? And then I was like, it, it's two di very different approaches that they, for them, it was like a dream sequence. And for better or worse, uh, for me, it was like individual uh, verses. Yes. And um, it, even like this read as a dream sequence, the, the five husbands also represent like Samaria and its love affairs with these different empires that have rolled through that is a matter of survival. And those of us who have come through um, experiences of um, abuse or violence or um, uh, just economic realities, uh, that what it is to survive and be able to play the game enough that you make it through, this is also what this woman is talking about. Husbands meant that there was a social security net for her to be able to survive. And it's those kind of things that also change what's going on. This isn't a morality um, play about, um, it's, it's so much deeper than all of that. Absolutely. It's like I, it, the, the morality side um, never, it, when people start reading different parts of scripture, and I, I don't know, maybe because of my brokenness, because I would have been one of those women sitting in the crowd, you know, like, at, yeah. at, and going, you have no clue what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You've yeah, got yeah. no clue. And so I think to me that I agree, there is so much more going on. And I don't, I don't, there is no way that I would think that was um, at the forefront of what Jesus was getting at, at all, actually. That, yeah. that, <laughs> whatever, he's got bigger fish to fry than that. That's not like- Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and that not only is this, you know, the longest conversation with a woman, this is the longest conversation with any single human being in the Bible. Like yeah. Jesus's longest conversation in the New Testament with anyone, and it's a woman. Yeah. So that in itself is very, um, is very telling. And then of course, as he goes down and he reveals himself as the Messiah to, I mean, he was with Nicodemus, a religious man, just the chapter before. If mm -hmm. he wanted to reveal himself as the Messiah to the religious elite or to the institution or to, yeah, wow. he could have done it then. But yep. Jesus chose the first time here in John's gospel that he uh, has revealed himself as the Messiah is to this Samaritan woman by a well at 12 o'clock on, it's just, I started laughing. I'm like, if you've, you know, the, yeah. that would be the most inappropriate place to tell the most unlikely person that you are the Messiah. And you, yeah. he's been overturning tables before this. He's been with Nicodemus. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on that he could have actually gone, hi, everyone, let me tell you who I am. Yeah. And he didn't. He told this woman. So I thought, it is telling, and this is why I would be on an island with this text, that his <laughs> conversation is with a chick. The first time he reveals himself as the Messiah is again uh, to a woman. And I think in all of that, 
it's right at that moment. And then his disciples come back of which I think it's hilarious that it took 12 of them to go to the supermarket to get groceries. But anyway, <laughs> how, many, how many men does it take to, to get a meal to go? To <laughs> we won't even go there. But, um, and so, um, and then they're wondering, while they're wondering, why is he talking to her? And the fact that they didn't interject makes me think it mustn't have been entirely unusual that he'd been talking to a woman. So they marveled mm. that it was, but they didn't like, you know, what are you doing? They didn't just, they just kind of like let him go. Um, but when she, when he reveals himself to her, I think that's that moment of truth, that revelation happens, you are the Messiah. I mean, they've just had this great discourse and then she leaves, this is the part that I love, she leaves a water jar, so this thing that is her source, her income, her everything, um, which is what I think, I'm not saying she didn't go and pick it up later, but at this moment, I think that's what happens at the moment you truly encounter Jesus and have a revelation of who <laughs> you kind of, in that moment, you drop everything that you used that's to. That's right. And, if, uh, if you're a fisherman, it's nets. If, oh, if you're a collector it. of water, it's a water jar. It's a water jar, whatever it might be that you, and I think sometimes when you hear, man, these people just gave up that instantly or dropped this or you just kind of go, there's, there's a moment. And then, um, and what is the first thing that she does? Well, the, while the disciples are busy, Rabbi, what are you going to eat? You know, like, it's like, well, everything is about food. Um, <laughs> he, and Jesus is like, you know, man, look at, and, and it's interesting that he says, uh, that you know look at the harvest here i wonder if the the samaritans are the harvest that he's talking about there's so much i mean we could stand here and mm. do three more podcasts just on that yeah, but yeah. While, while they're having that dialogue and they're worried about natural food and they've missed everything that's going on she's dropped her water jar she's run back and she's having a revival which is a lot of yeah. what to me it's a great picture of what's happening in the church everyone's sitting around worried about what, what, what food are you going to eat and what color is the curtain going to be and and, and while, while or, or even how, how do we get those important meetings with the nicodemuses of our world uh, how, how do we um make sure that we're, we're sitting around with the the, the power holders the stakeholders totally. and those around the corporate table instead Literally. of like in the places that no one wants to go with the people that other people um look completely past and that's where jesus found you like it's it literally and jesus is like they're trying to have that conversation he's going like would you just look lift up your eyes like you, you you're not mm. even in the right conversations you're not looking at the right thing you're not measuring the right results whichever way you want to look at it and um and she's busy having a revival, which is what is actually happening on the earth today. So while mm. you know, if you just get stuck on Twitter, you can actually really miss what God's doing because there's, there's a whole lot <laughs> of things happening wherever I go, South America and Africa and Asia and up in Europe and through pockets of America. And I'm, I'm feeling rumblings and I'm, and it's like, while everyone's worried about what we're going to eat, Jesus is like, could you lift up your eyes and the fields are ripe for the harvest. And then there's a whole bunch of chicks running back to their town and mm. people are seeing this radical something was radical enough that immediately many samaritans it says in the text from that town believed and what is the result that they go they come to him can you stay we're going to have a great dialogue with jesus and then they say you know they came because of her but they stayed because of him and i think yeah. all of us can get to that place where uh there there is something so transformational that has happened in our own lives and the transformation this is where sort of the people that let's it's think holiness is all just about personal piety rather than mm. a transformation of, of society and being of all things yeah yeah totally world have missed it because she i mean who else but jesus 
could tell you everything you've ever done and you mm. feel free and you're like, thank God. I'm so great. Glad that somebody told me every, and that's how I felt when I um, encountered Christ true. And I still feel to this day is like, mm. um, he told me everything I've ever done. And there is a freedom that comes with that, a liberty, yeah. redemption and a wholeness. And I feel of all probably the people in the Bible, I feel so connected to her because I feel like ever since that happened to me, I've been running to my metaphorical back to Samaria and just telling everyone, come see this man, come see this man, yeah. come see this man. And I feel 30 years later, pretty much, I wake up every day and I'm like, come see this man. And I, and transformation happens. You know, if I can point him to him, he's going to keep them. He, I mean, it, it, and then hopefully that same transformation will happen in them and mm. flow through them. And I, I think just the fact that when Jesus said, let me sum up 613, you know, Old Testament commandments right here. Let me just, put them in, love God, love people, love the Lord your God mm. and love your neighbor as you love yourself. But it's inseparable. The more we can keep those things inseparable, then people will know he did it to me to do it through me. And yeah, that's good. however you want to use the language, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. know Pentecostal, but you know, if, if we can, um, if we can do that and I can help people see, um, come see this man, this man will transform you and you'll transform your world. I mean, it's just, yeah. just what happens. And there's so much of, your own ministry tied up in what you've just explained. When, when so many people um, uh, seek to build an, an empire and consolidate their own power and influence and platform and uh, so much of that, that whole thing of um, they no longer believe just because of um, what you said, we now have heard for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that so much of your life, Christine, has been releasing people into the experience that you had so they can know for themselves. And like that kind of apostolic witness, like that's, you know, to to take this Samaritan woman as one of the first apostles, whether it's like um, uh, Mary running to tell the apostles before their apostles or whether it's um, this woman here, it's it's fascinating to me that the kind of leadership of the minority reports of the centrality of women in the leadership and birth of the church is that it's a kind of leadership that actually looks more like Jesus, where Jesus, um, the incarnation works that God doesn't like hold coercive power, but reveals a different kind of power showing up with a kind of vulnerability that um, the, the living water shows up and says, I'm thirsty. Yeah. Now that in itself should like transform the way that um, we think about our organisations, uh, how we think and approach leadership, how we like the, the, the inverse upside down reality of God's reign, of God's dream for all things of, of the kingdom is contained in just these dynamics right here. Totally. And, and I mean, you know, we never know her name and because on my birth certificate, um, it says child's name and typed in is the word unnamed number 2508 of 1966. So, oh. um, so the fact that it says unnamed 2508, I, I feel like I'm her and cause she could be all of us. She, we never wow. know her name. And um, so this unnamed uh, Samaritan woman, she leads this whole place they go for, we have heard of ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. So there's this, this cosmic mm. world. Thing in there that comes out of it. So this unnamed woman leads a city to recognize him as the savior of this whole world. And it seems to be what Jesus has always done. And so yeah. I, 
always look, people go to me, even with, you know, there's 40 million slaves in the world, Chris, don't you get overwhelmed? Because of course the numbers are enormous. I mean, you know, and are you really making a difference? But I think there's only one degree of separation between me and those victims. I mean, numbers are numbing and dehumanizing and desensitizing. And it's, it's so easy to ignore suffering when it's nameless and faceless, but Every time I look at my birth certificate, I'm one of those numbers. I'm too far away. So I think if I wasn't born, if I was born like in Romania or Albania or Greece and I wasn't born at Crown Street Women's Hospital here in Sydney, I could easily be one of the kids that I'm raising. So there is no separation. And so I think when I have this, an unnamed Samaritan woman is the longest conversation Jesus has with anyone in the Bible. It's the first time he reveals himself as the Messiah to someone in the Bible. And it's the, um, she's the first evangelist that has a revival in her city. I'm like, mm. I'm that chick. I am that chick. Come on. <laughs> that's how I feel. Chris, that's, that's so incredibly powerful and such a important reading of this text where, where so many would argue that, well, Nicodemus is named, therefore he's more important. But just hearing that out of your own lived experience that um, the Samaritan woman remains not unnamed, not because of um, being unimportant, but how important that is for, you know, the, the Roma community on the streets of Tirana, um, who, uh, you know, prostitution is their reality because of human trafficking. And suddenly he is then in the text and Jesus spends the most time here yep. uh, in the places that others think that redemption can't reach in the places where people think people aren't chosen, that they're the very places that Jesus has to pass through despite all the kind of social pressures. And I I think I always love it um, that some of the the stories we talk about most are all unnamed people. I mean, you know, the woman with the issue of blood, we don't know her name. We don't know the demoniac's name, the mute man's name. I mean, we, we could go through the gospels. To me, the power in so many of these texts is that they are unnamed. So I go looking for them, like my husband and I are, we have a church in Sofia, Bulgaria. And so we're rebuilding Mm. a a Roma community there. I mean, you know, because if you were in Romania, um, Mm. the most marginalized group. And I said to the Lord, I I want the ones nobody's going for. And so the Bulgarian government um, last year came in and bulldozed, like just like right there, uh, several hundred people just they're already living in a rubbish dump, but bulldoze yeah. the whole thing. And so um, we've really undertaken to, we've bought them land and, and, and building schools and like, I'm, I'm loving it, but I think some of them don't even know their names. And then I walk in and here I am. And I always take my birth certificate so they can see that it just says number. And, um, and then I'll read them these texts so that they can see, look, look, here is the Bible talks about us. <laughs> we, yes. we are them. Amen. Yeah. Um, and you see them come alive. Suddenly, this word pertains to them. And, um, you know, I think some people might look at my life and in some ways, maybe in the Western world, you know, I have a, a in, in the small little slither of the Christian bubble, people go, wow, uh, she's known or, you know, she, I don't know, a, a part of the system. And I think, oh, if you only knew, I'm so not, God has made sure yeah. I'm not. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Use any of that influence or notoriety or whatever you want to use that word, um, it is only to awaken those people to to this and go. Uh, but I personally, God has made sure um, that I could never get ahead of myself because it, it mm. is who I am. 
I, I am. I'm the kid that grew up in the Housing Commission house in Blacktown, yeah. daughter of Greek immigrants that had to flee from um, Alexandria, Egypt. My grandparents had to flee from Izmir during the, the ethnic genocide mm. that happened in the 1920s. Um, and then, you know, I was abused for 12 years and I don't even have a name on a birth certificate. So the Lord's kind of girl, I'm going to make sure that you remember what I've done for you. Now take this and don't be apologetic for it. Like I'm not apologetic. Mm. I'm not like this chick. I want entire towns and cities and nations. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. I want that to happen. Yeah. It's so powerful. And like, I think it, like James saying, God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the system to be rich in faith. Totally. Like that, that's the very places that, um, but if, if you're wanting to hang out in the dark um, uh, with those in positions of power whose name is known, like I, I still can't get the, the desert ummers and others, uh, mothers and, and fathers would talk about um, that one of the most um, dangerous times of the day would be noon because there are no shadows. So you're not aware of um, uh, the shadow that we all cast. And yet in this situation, the, the opposite is, is true. Um, everything is out in the open. Nothing can be hidden. And it's in fact, like I even think, Chris, in terms of like, um, bless the pure in heart for they shall see God. And sometimes we think that kind of purity is about not getting anything wrong instead of the kind of transparency of laying everything wrong out in the open. Five husbands, yep. Like he, he, he is all the reality. He, here's all the stuff that's going on. And it, it's it's in the lights being switched on, that there is this incomplete freedom that God works with the messiness of all the stuff that we think disqualifies us. And it's the things that God will use to actually qualify us for the work with those who also think they're unqualified. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is the gospel message. And I think people just get astounded when it happens. Like as in, yeah. it's, um, and so, uh, you know, we go, God, God uses, you know, he doesn't, uh, call the qualified, he qualifies the calls. God uses mm. people to do unlikely things. But then when they do, <laughs> when someone like me rocks up and you're like, oh, but you don't fit the system. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I know that's the whole point. And, and, and then it's like, so, so my, my um, challenge has been as I've gone on um, and the Lord's brought me into different spaces to, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of discipline to be in it, but not of it. And um, to yeah. not, and to go and to not throw it all away either, to not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Again, it's that narrow space. It's like yeah. that Jesus calls us to because someone is always going to misunderstand you. So that doesn't matter. Like, you know, yeah. the side would wish, I'm sure, that I was way more over here. And this side would wish mm. I was way more over there. And um, and just when one side thinks I'm there, I'm like, I've never been there. I've, I've always been um, in that middle tension, highly. I'm going deeper. Yeah just it's not easy and you've got to be willing to be misunderstood um but, but so know, Chris, like, talk talk to me for those of us who um uh, do have experiences um uh of marginality and abuse um sometimes when uh, there is acceptance uh in the systems which you know weren't built for us where we haven't been uh, the, the the people who who get that it can become really addictive. Mm -hmm. um, I've just returned from Cape Town and, and working um, with leaders who their reality is described as a township, like literally 
it's you know um, tin uh, roofs and walls in you know th these kind of garbage dump r realities that you've been d describing and the the attraction of the prosperity gospel in those kind of places is really clear it's not about being middle class aspirational wanting to move up a little bit more to bigger it, it is about getting out of the kind of crippling poverty which literally kills and it, it can be so easy um, to understand that um, we you know import our definitions of what prosperity is from you know the larger neoliberal economic realities that we exist in how is it that you have stayed because um, you had access to all of that um, like you, you went um, in you know the equivalent courts of pharaoh um, you've had access to and all the rest how do you stay true um, uh, to the people whom um, we're a part of that so many forget once they get that kind of access yeah and God's grace is number one. Um, mm. uh, you know, I certently haven't been faultless in the in the thirty year journey. Um, but mm. I, I think that uh, it, with all my flawed humanity, a lot of it has got to do with the Holy Spirit of God. There is no way He, oh, he doesn't let me forget. <laughs> like as in, you know, that there's that yeah. reality. Um, and I've made so many mistakes. But I. Um, I, I understand their tension and their struggles. So it's hard work. I mean, you know, I'm still in Bulgaria, very actively, like constantly. Um, I, I have not removed myself from the people. And I think that's a big thing. Yeah. And, so, and, and yet planting life-giving churches in cities like Sofia, Bulgaria, Thessaloniki, mm -hmm. Warsaw, it's very different to a lot of the mega cities that I'm in, in uh, churches that are huge and, you know, um, uh, different um but i think i've managed and hopefully my husband is a very big part of this nick my husband sure. is absolutely astounding and organized yeah. runs everything and he's he's always been very involved with social enterprise and understanding that uh to just throw out and just go look we don't need anything to me is just that, that that's not going to help anybody because i know what it is to have nothing like i was i was that person to feel mm. so locked in by uh, by systemic poverty and mm. that doesn't help anyone that doesn't bless anyone yeah. uh, and i understand if you're still broken on the inside uh how you measure i don't even think it's that you're a bad person but how you measure god's love for you or that you're getting healed is by how much you get and how much up the social ladder you start to climb yeah. you don't even realize it so what i've had to do in my 30 years and I think if you read anything I've written and what I've done is be as committed to my continual internal yes. growth and healing as I am externally, because otherwise, wherever there are wounds still on the inside of me, then you either use people or possessions or power or prestige to fill an unmet need on the inside of you. Yeah. Even if your motives are totally, you want to serve God, you want to, and most of the people that, maybe fall in this area didn't start out wanting to like i really don't think so oh, of course yeah they started out wanting god they wanted to they believed that god would bless and prosper you so that you could help people but somewhere a brokenness on the inside that was not dealt with or an undealt wound mm -hmm. uh, led to the fall the enemy is going to look for any part of you to take mm -hmm. you out. and of course 
we all know, and I know more than anyone, um, the damage a lot of that has done to the church and to people. Um, but throwing the baby out with the bathwater is not the answer. Mm -hmm. So the answer is to go, there's a, to understand always, there's a direct correlation between what's happening in me and what happens through me. And so um, you can set external, which I have checks and balances. Um, I, I don't have a token board and a th um, ours is like legit. And so, yeah, that's right. so things are, so there is nothing token about it. Um, everything is legit and it um, ensures certain good safeguards, you know, that, that just uh, help you, that, that just help you stay, stay on track, I think. And then, um, and, and the fact is I am, listen, at the end of the day, how many pairs of jeans can you wear? How many, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just, you know, I'm just like, stuff was never the answer. That I mean, I had stuff before I was saved. That wasn't the issue. I, yeah. I, I want to help people. Um, and I, if I can wrestle it myself, then when we go in, like with these Roma communities, you know, they haven't been to school. So me just throwing a whole lot of money at it isn't going to be the solution. We're going to, we've, we've got to be committed long-term on the ground. Same with our victims. You know, we have a, a three-pronged uh, process with our A21. We reach the vulnerable, rescue the victim, restore the survivor. That's a process over time. And a lot of them don't have skills. Like, uh, again, um, throwing a whole lot of either just money or resources with people that do not have the tools or the internal mechanisms to know what to do with it, it causes further destruction. So you've got to be committed to the long haul. Um, and so to me, you need it all, man, you need the power of God. You need the gifts of the spirit. You need the fruit of the spirit. You need good sound economic theory. You need, yeah, that's right. you need great accountability. You need really good mm you need some checks and balances you need mm. it's no one way so when i kind of hear the uh people wanting to throw man we don't want it, it, to me it's actually only the hyper rich upper white middle class that can go man that prosperity doctrine's really bad i'm just like okay let's talk about what you're talking mm. about because yeah while we're sitting in Starbucks on the fourth latte, um, talking about why this is all wrong. Now, now let's talk about the errors of hyper faith, destructive, yeah. ungodly theology verse. What is really, what is faith and what is true biblical prosperity and what is true fruitfulness? And, and those words are all so loaded. I don't even use them publicly. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so let's rethink these things because at the end of the day, I'm going into nations with Greece. I mean, thank you. We, we bankrupted the entire planet in 2000. <laughs> you know, you and I are recording this today. We just had our elections today. New democracy just got in. And I mean, for anyone that works in those nations, I mean, I live in, in America, um, but I have my headquarters in Greece. I mean, it, it is a mess and I have a church there. It, it mm. is the, the everyday economic reality that those young people are dealing with yeah. is horrific. And so I've got to sit in circles with them and go, okay, what are we going to do? We're, we're rescuing the victims of human trafficking. We're, um, you know, working with law enforcement. We're working with uh, the education system. We're working with the Greek Orthodox church. Um, we're working with business and enterprise. We've got, corrupt governments. I mean, the place is this. How are we going to, what does it look like to bring the kingdom here? And so, you know what, they need uh, to understand some economic theory because the country's not in the mess that it's in because they understood um, a good economic theory um, at all. That's why it's in such a mess. So we, for those people to understand 
biblical economics, for want of a better phrase, um, is very important. It's very important to go, okay, let's start. What does the Bible have to say about this? How are we going to change the language? Because, you know, some of the people that have the biggest problems with money and greed are people that don't have a lot of it. And, if and you know, so we're, I'm in some of those communities, um, if we don't begin to go, okay, we've got to deal with hard issues of greed. It, you know, you can have a lot of money and be greedy and you can have no money and be greedy. You can have a lot of money and not be greedy and have no money and be greedy. So yeah. it's all talking, okay, so to, when I'm talking with them, I go, okay, this is where we have to talk about issues of the heart because this is... Uh, more than just your moral purity, let's talk about our our um, moral attitude to money and spending and finance and resource and what's going on. If we're going to transform this nation, we're going to have to understand how money works and what is kingdom economics and how does this mm. work. Um, and if the, with uh, the Roma Gypsy, the Roma community, um, you know, we're starting, okay, l- l- turning up every day just to turn up is going to be day one you know that's what we're going to start up <laughs> yeah. on time and let's begin this process um and let's learn what responsibility is and how this all works now we're committed to all that stuff for the long haul i think what happened with the hyper prosperity preachers and i think you know i don't even like to use that language because there is no one i know is <laughs> uh, certainly that i run with that um would be of that school and i was never mm-hmm. drawn into that I'm, I'm, i've certainly been associated with those circles that i i, I know that right. people, people yeah, i turn up in tweets all the time and i'm like wow i'm glad you think i was there but anyway you just <laughs> whatever <laughs> when am i going to save the money yeah apparently that's right. i did that and i said that and i was there but anyway um and so but i um we've got to those of us that truly care about justice have got to find better conversations about this because we've got to help people get yeah. out the poverty that they're in and so those of us that truly are i don't mind if people go she's a faith preacher i know that comes loaded again well i don't want to be a doubt or a fear preacher so that that, you know i have no but but (laughs) uh, you know so of course i look through that lens yes i i i have a very strong component of um the holy spirit and the Mm. and faith and reading scripture through that lens that does not, I, I, I never understood how that could be separate from caring and loving the, the poor and the marginal. Right. Yeah. I, I never understood. And I don't know how you do one without the other because yeah. on, I'm still full of joy. I'm still full of hope. Yeah. I'm still full of peace. And I come across people in my sector all the time that honestly, they might have really good, you know, lefty theology, but man, they got no fruit of the spirit. There's, That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but you, a bit yeah. of joy would be really good, go a long way here. And, um, yeah, yeah, totally. And so I don't know. And I think we have to carve that uh, third way, which is why I'm, I'm just so deeply grateful for you and the work that oh, you're doing in some of those circles that you're in, because that's helping me because it's, mm causing me to read some of you younger guys that are, are nutting this out and um, you know some of the stuff that y- you've recently done and with Jonathan Martin and talking about um, deconstruction a whole lot of other stuff it's just yeah. like it's just so healthy that we're having these conversations now because I feel like there's a bunch of us um, that are the same like I don't know people go where what's your sort of background I'm going like I'm a bit of a mongrel of all of that's it. right it's yeah church and so yeah. and I need all of it to help the victims that I'm working with every day, I don't know how I would do it 
lacking any one part of it. I, I, I need yeah. faith and fruitfulness and prosperity and abundance and lament and repentance and confession. Um, yeah. Yeah, all of that. I need it all. I need absolutely every part of it. And it, it takes us right back to the start. We're talking about it's, it's about going deeper. And I think um, uh, Jono, who's, who's one of my best mates in the world and the way that God brought us together through like some of the hardest seasons of our, our, our life has been incredible. Um, and in our very different contexts, knowing that the work that is needed is so much deeper than deconstruction. Um, it's the, the, the need to um, decolonize and transfigure uh, that which we've previously experienced so we won't be in reaction to it. Anybody who is being in Samaritan women's situation needs more than deconstruction. Yeah. They need the kind of gracious deliverance, which is mercy, yeah. which is, isn't merely getting off the hook. It, it's actually how, I mean, anybody crying out to Jesus, uh, son of David, have mercy on me. They're not saying, hey, let me off the hook. <laughs> They're saying, my situation, I need an exodus from this to something that looks like life. And that's, that's true. It, it's, a, it's a luxury to be able to deconstruct um, something that leaves you in the same uh, social location when, you know, God in the flesh shows up and moves us to the places where everybody else writes off as hopeless. And that's the kind of movement we need. And it can't come from a place of, of pride. It has to actually create in us a, a humility. And I think with the work that you're doing and um, uh, the, in, in terms of a development relief and my background with World Vision in the Middle East, Eastern Europe, when you're in places um, uh, like Albania or, or, or like remote Georgia, um, people aren't looking for some theories. Oh. Um, and the, the kind of prosperity that doesn't come at the cost of others, it doesn't come at the expense of the poor and actually blesses the earth and what it is to have a new imagination and to have those desires not disappear, but actually have them um, delivered from economic systems that run on exploitation that look like the Assyrians that the Samaritans got into bed with or, or look like that those kind of, um, whether it be, you know, Egyptian, Babylonian, yeah. Assyrian or, or, or Roman kind of empires or our equivalents today. One of the things that I loved about what you were just saying is that um, any kind of throwing money that leaves us in the same situation instead of relocating. So we're actually caught up in, uh, Chris, I'm just more and more convinced that the only way through is together. And salvation from the rich happens through the poor and salvation for the poor happens through the rich. And it's by design that we need each other um, and we get liberated from our different captivities together. Totally, totally. Because if, if, I, if I didn't stay in close proximity, um, then I, Jesus could have freed me and then I would have just become captive at a different level. You know, like- That's right, yeah. Lord, whatever elevated my life, my platform, my influence, I could have become captive. I mean, how, I don't know that there's anything sadder to have been free, freed only to be held captive down the track would just be the worst form of captivity. I mean, better to have not been in the first place to me. Wow. You know, so I wrestle with that with, you know, people in my world that we do to try to go, man, don't, don't become enslaved to the very thing Jesus freed you from. Yeah. Uh, or, or 
become enslaved to a whole lot of new idols that you you didn't even have yeah. back there. Um, and the only way not to is to continue to be a labourer in the harvest. The minute you don't think you're a co-labourer and you start mm -hmm. thinking that you're above labouring um, is the minute it's the beginning of the end, I think, you know, for, oh, for wow. the way that I've stayed is that you just remember I'm a co-labourer. I might have a different level um, of influence and access now, but that's not for my own comfort or uh, exclusivity. It's merely to be a labourer at another effective level. But I never, mm. never graduate. The highest place you can ever achieve this side of eternity is to be a co-labourer with the God of the universe in helping his yeah, wow. here on earth as it is in heaven. And I think if we all remember that, Beautiful. then as God opens up doors of access, influence, um, resources, you know what it's for. So you don't despise it. You don't have to apologise mm -hmm. for it. Um, but you certainly to share it. know what to it's share for. It. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, if, if God can keep money out of your heart, he'll keep it in your pocket and you'll be able to just continue to help people. And um, if he can get it through you, he'll keep getting it to you. And so to mm. me, I think the greatest testimony that 30 years on, you know, we're able to help more people, millions now, you know, compared to when I started yeah. 20 kids in Wagga Wagga, that's not that I'm any better <laughs> at mm. all. Hopefully I'm deader. I mean, my, my thing is if I could <laughs> die daily, crucify my flesh and my Lord, you know, just if I could keep doing that, then he can get um, more through me. The degree to which I'm willing to continue to die is the degree to which he can flow it through me and I can continue to bear fruit for his kingdom. And that, and um, I, I think that's it. Otherwise, you just sell out for what? Like what? I, don't, what, I mean, you know, the other stuff. The, the saddest thing we've done in Christendom is to create a Christian celebrity subculture or a Christian yes. subculture. We're killing our own. And, and I yeah. mean, you know, whatever it is, we're just, we're just killing people. We, we're... We, we've created the enemy is just running rampant and um it makes me so sad because it's like man we got delivered from that uh we got delivered from it and to be mm. held captive to it again only the enemy wins and so uh you know you just gotta pray stay very humble i mean and it's not mm. in the christian church we think it's everyone else's job that we are the I don't know, the police to keep everyone humble, but the scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord that he might lift you mm. up. And so I think um, what we have to do, whatever we need to do to humble ourselves. No one else can ultimately humble you. You have to mm. consciously. And I think it's only, you can only truly humble yourself when you know where you're seated, when you know you're seated at the right hand of the father, you know that there's no further, there's nowhere to go. When people go, Manny, you want to get to the top? I'm like, how could I get any top up than where I am? I'm at the top of where I'm ever going to be for all of eternity, which is at the right hand of the Father. So the only place you can go from the top is down. <laughs> so that's how you humble yourself every day. You remember who you are. You remember what you have access to, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You know uh, who you are in him. From that place, you can mm. a, a broken humanity. Um, but a lot of people somehow have sold out to Christendom to try to get to that place or for yeah. that place. And I'm like, honey, Jesus already took you there from there. Yeah, yeah. Now let's go and help a broken and lost humanity. That's, I think, a true humility. I mean, C.S. Lewis said it, you know, you don't think less of yourself. You just think of yourself think, less. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for your witness and all of that and the way that you have not walked around, but walked through the places that um, uh, when you've been named from those places, the, the desire to walk around can be even stronger. And um, uh, for, for such a long time, not just in this nation, but globally, you have been one of those 
people who continues to show up in the places where Jesus is found. And Chris, for that, I'm so thankful. Thank you for being an example of what it is to have that, you know, faith fit preacher um, paradigm transfigured. Um, Here is somebody who, no less of the faith, um, no less of the expectation or believing for good things, but to believe them for the poorest of poor instead of for oneself, that is a beautiful thing. So I'm just so thankful for who you are, uh, your integrity, your humility, um, uh, the way that you continue to um, show up in the middle of the day, not hide any of your stuff and see God work through it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, mate, truly. And if people are wanting to um, uh, follow what you're doing, uh, get involved in uh, whether it's um, women listening who are like, that sounds incredible. How, how do I get involved in that leadership development? Or if it's people who have a heart, um, which you know we all should have, um, to see people set free from um, this modern slavery. Uh, how can people find your stuff and get involved? I think, yeah, they just go to a21.org or propelwomen.org. It's all the things are there. Wow. Brilliant.